Amen. All right, well, we're there in Galatians chapter number 5, and we are in a series on Wednesday nights going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through the book of Galatians, and uh, we've actually already finished chapter 5. We've covered all of the material in Galatians chapter number 5. Um, however, last week when I preached on the last part of this chapter, Walking in the Spirit, I covered verses 22 and 23, but verses 22 and 23 are, are such special verses that I feel like they uh, deserve uh, some special attention. And of course, these are very well-known verses from the book of Galatians. If you look at verse 22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And we, of course, covered these verses within the context of the scripture and of the second part of this uh, chapter dealing last week with this idea of walking in the Spirit. But I want to specifically deal with this idea of the fruit of the Spirit uh, because this is a very well-known passage, but it is often a misunderstood passage. And a lot of people get... Uh, some wrong teaching and doctrinal things from um, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. So I'd like to cover it tonight, and we'll cover it as quickly as we can. I want to give you some thoughts regarding the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I want to give you three specific points and and thoughts regarding the fruit of the Spirit. And I would encourage you to jot these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. And I'll go ahead and give you the first one. And the first thing I'd like you to notice is the producer of the fruit of the Spirit the producer of the fruit of the Spirit. And I word it that way for a reason. Um, And and one of the main, I would say, misunderstandings or or just bad teaching or false teaching from the fruit of the Spirit is an understanding of uh, who it is that produces or who is the one that is the producer of the fruit of the Spirit. And it should be uh, pretty simple, but it's interesting to me how the simplest things in the Bible tend to get uh, skewed and, and, and used incorrectly. But I want you to notice there again in Galatians 5.22, just notice the first little phrase, but the fruit, I just want you to notice these two words. In fact, you might want to just underline these two words, of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. When we begin to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to begin uh, with this understanding that it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, that produces this fruit. The producer of the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, is what the Bible says. Now, keep your place there in Galatians 5, and we're going to obviously that's our text for tonight. Uh, But go with me, if you would, to the uh, book of Matthew, the, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 13. And, you know, you might, you might be scratching your head a little bit and saying, why are you making a big deal about this, the fruit of the Spirit? We know it is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and though it is something that we often say, and whenever people talk about this subject, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, what you need to understand is that a lot of people have this teaching, false teaching, wrong teaching, this false idea that it is not the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, what a lot of people believe and what I want to show you tonight is that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, It is not the fruit of the Christian. And because today there are many people who will say, well, this is is what every Christian life should be. You know, if you're a Christian, this is the fruit you should be producing. And if you're not producing this, the, the, the false teaching is, then you must not be saved. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that this is the fruit of the Christian The Bible teaches us this is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me just go ahead and give you the answer to the question, and then I'll develop it and show it to you from from the Word of God. This is the fruit that is developed in the life of a Christian who is walking in the Spirit. When you are walking in the Spirit, when you're actively, like we talked about last Wednesday night, walking in the Spirit and living your life guided by the Spirit of God, then this is the fruit that will be apparent in your life. But simply being saved and being a Christian will not produce uh, this fruit. Now, what people often use to try to prove this and say, no, this is the fruit of the, uh, the, fruit of the Spirit, is the fruit of the Christian, and these are the types of things that should be characterizing your life, and if they're not characterizing your life, then you must not be saved, is because there are passages of Scripture that teach 
that uh, Christians will have fruit. And, and that is true. I'm going to show it to you. Uh, but I want you to understand that the Bible teaches, you, you go to Matthew chapter 13, and, and let me just start by, by saying this. All the way in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that everything brings forth after its own kind. And when we talk about fruit, we are talking about that which is produced. So when an apple, tr- apple tree produces fruit, it produces apples. When, in, uh, when, when an orange tree produces fruit, it produces oranges. And when the Holy Spirit produces fruit, it produces love. You say, why? Because God is love. It produces joy. Why? Because God is the source of our joy. Uh, it produces peace. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It produces these things, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Why? Because God is the source of these things. So the Holy Spirit produces these things in, their li- in, 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 in the life of a Christian that is walking in the Spirit. However, this is not the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible does talk about Christians reproducing. Notice there in Matthew 13 and verse 8. Matthew 13, 8 says this, But other fell on into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So here the Bible is telling us that a Christian, when, and by the way, not every Christian is producing fruit. It's only those that have a good ground, those that have a good heart, and the uh, Word of God has been sown in them, and they are producing, because not every Christian produces either. But the Bible is telling us here that it is possible for a Christian to produce an hundredfold, and some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold, meaning that some people are going to produce a hundred times the, their investment or themselves. Some are going to produce 60 times themselves. Some are going to produce 30 uh, uh, fold themselves. So people will take a verse like this and say, see, a Christian is supposed to be producing fruit. And then they'll say, it must be the fruit of the Spirit. But wait a minute. If dogs produce dogs and cats produce cats, right? I mean, you might have been educated in the public school system and you were taught that monkeys produce humans, but that's not true. If monkeys produce monkeys, if goldfish produce goldfish, then what is it that Christians produce? Christians produce Christians. And not every Christian produces Christian, just like not every human being has a baby. But when a Christian does produce something, they produce Christians. Why? Because when the Bible talks about Christians multiplying themselves or producing fruit, it is talking about reproducing themselves through soul winning, through preaching the gospel to somebody, getting somebody saved, and they reproduce themselves. And some people reproduce themselves a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. This is not, Matthew 13, 8 is not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And just so you, just, just logically speaking, try to apply Galatians 5, 22 and 23 to Matthew 13, 8. When it says that, uh, that other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, doesn't that make sense when we're talking about salvations? Some people in their lifetime are going to win a hundred other people to Christ. Some are going to win 60 other people to Christ. Some are going to bring 30 other people to Christ. Some are going to uh, win 30 to Christ in one year because this is a harvest, a yearly harvest. Some might win five people to Christ every year. Some might win a hundred people to Christ every year. This is the harvest of a Christian. Let me ask you something. Is this telling us that some Christians are going to bring, how can you bring a hundredfold love? I mean, does that make any sense? Here's the fruit of the Christian. That guy, I mean, that guy, he's got, let me tell you something, he's got 60-fold joy and, and, and 30-fold peace. That doesn't make any sense. A Christian reproduces himself. He gets somebody saved or herself. They get somebody saved and they reproduce themselves. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of the Christian is seeing souls saved. Let me give you another example. Go to Matthew chapter 7. So Christians don't produce an hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold of these things outlined in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Christians produce other Christians. By the way, let me just say it this way. Christians produce other Christians. You know, good people produce good, good fruit and bad fruit produces bad fruit. Look at Matthew 7.15. Matthew 7.15 says this. Beware of false prophets. Is that a good guy or a bad guy? It's a bad guy. Beware of false prophets 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. I always think it's interesting how Christians, they, want, they like to quote this. When they're trying to preach this, you know, works adding, you know, if you're saved, you're going to produce works in your life. And if you're really saved, you're there, we're going to be able to see something. And, and they always want to quote this. Ye shall know them by their fruits. And they, they say, well, if, if that person's really saved, we shall know them by their fruits. But when you look at the passage, it's talking about false prophets. That's why you can't just pull a verse out of its context. You have to actually read the entire Bible and realize that the context of Matthew 7, 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. What Jesus was talking about was false prophets. And if you just keep reading it, it makes sense. Notice what he says. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns? He's saying, do you go to a thorn bush and expect to gather grapes? The answer is no. Or figs of thistles? Are thistles going to produce figs? Are thorns going to produce grapes? He says, even so, in the same way that thorns don't produce grapes and thistles don't produce figs, he says, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree bringeth not forth, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, notice the context, by their fruits ye shall know them. The teaching here is about preachers and, 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 and specifically here about false prophets. Here's what he's saying. You want to know if someone's a false prophet? Inspect their fruit. Well, what's their fruit? Well, what are they producing? And look, if, if someone wants to know if Pastor Jimenez is a good guy or a bad guy, a good prophet or a bad prophet, all they have to do is inspect the fruit of what we produce here at Verity Baptist Church. And obviously, we always have visitors and we always have new people or whatever, but the truth of the matter is this. If you're part of Verity Baptist Church and someone, you know, if somebody decided they wanted to do a fruit inspection uh, at Verity Baptist Church, would well, don't try that because you might get tackled by our safety team. But if, if they stood at that door and asked people on their way out, what do you believe about salvation? I mean, there's 170 people here uh, tonight. They asked 170 people, what do you think about salvation? I mean, like 150 of those answers, because, you know, a lot of them are kids or whatever, but the people, the vast majority of people are going to say, by works through faith. Not by works through faith, excuse me. That's what the bad guy says. They're going to say, good night. By their fruits, you shall know them. They're going to say, look, they're going to say eternal security. You ask them about the, the Bible, they're going to say the King James Bible. You ask, you, you see what I'm saying? It, but, but when we go to Joel Osteen's church, or we go to the Liberal Fund Center down the street, those people, you're going to get all sorts of answers. People are going to say, repent of your sins. People are going to say, you got to work your way to heaven. People are going to say, you got to speak in tongues. They're going to say, you're charismatic. They're going to say, you got to get baptized. So by their fruits, you shall know them, is the context of this passage. And, and look, when a church is filled, now obviously every church is going to have people that aren't saved or not sure about salvation and they're new and they're whatever. But when a church is just filled with unsaved people, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. And I've been soul winning, uh, 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 you know, throughout the years where maybe we knock every door in a certain area and there happens to be uh, some church down the street or whatever, and, and we happen to just knock on a bunch of people that all go to that church. And I don't ever have to step foot in that church to know a lot about that church just by talking to other church people and asking about salvation. I remember we were soul winning one time, I think it was West Sac, and there was just this little church. I think there was only 20 people in it, but all of them live like, on that street, because we talked to every, everybody kept telling us, oh, there's only 20 people in the church, but we, I think we talked to all of them. <laughs> and honestly, like, all of them were saved. They all gave a clear testimony of salvation, except one. And what that told me was, that guy's probably a good guy. Yeah. At, at least on salvation, he's right, because we, we just did an inspection of his fruit. So the Bible teaches that people reproduce, that everything brings forth after its own kind, and Christians are going to reproduce, and false prophets are going to reproduce bad fruit, and good prophets are going to reproduce good fruit. But the Bible is not teaching here that if you're saved, you're going to have some sort of good works that come alongside, and we shall know them by their fruits. That is taking that phrase out of context. So I want to begin with just this idea and understanding that the producer of the fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And simply 
being saved does not guarantee that you're going to produce that fruit because like we learned last week, you can walk in the Spirit or you can walk in the flesh. And those will produce two different things. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. So number one, we saw the producer of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of the Christian. But secondly, let's talk about the production of the fruit of the Spirit. And we've already been talking about this, but I would just want to emphasize it again. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. Notice again the context. Galatians 5, verse 16. The Bible says, This I say then. Notice these words. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is the context of these verses on the fruit of the Spirit. Notice. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We talked about that last week. But if you be led of the Spirit... You're not under the law. So notice the context is about walking in the Spirit, being led of the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh. Now why does he say this? Because he's about to tell us what the life that is led of the Spirit looks like. But before he tells us what the life that is led of the Spirit looks like, he tells us, here's what the life led of the flesh looks like. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So look, what we just read in these verses, verses 19, 20, and 21, now the works of the flesh are manifest. We could call this the fruit of the flesh. And this is talking to Christians, and Paul is telling them, when you walk in the flesh, here's what your life's going to look like. It's going to look like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, right? That's what your life is going to produce when you're walking in the flesh. But when you're walking in the Spirit, verse 22, look at the context. But the fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to uh, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So we see that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. When you are walking in the Spirit, when you are led of the Spirit, these are the things that will be evident in your life. We didn't say when you're saved. Because you can be saved and not walking in the Spirit. Let's just talk about this for a second. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in a life controlled by the Spirit. And let me say this. The fruit of the Spirit is not produced in a life simply indwelled by the Spirit. Notice Galatians 5.25. We saw this last week, but let's just look at it. Galatians 5.25. Notice what this verse says. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now look. You, you may say, I don't really understand what that verse means. But it doesn't take a lot of understanding to know this. Obviously, Paul is saying living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are two different things. Because he's saying, look, if we live in the Spirit, here's what he's saying. Since you are living in the Spirit, let us... Also walk in the Spirit. Do you see the word also there? He's saying, look, if you're living in the Spirit, why don't you also walk in the Spirit? What does that tell us? Here's what it tells us. That simply because you're living in the Spirit does not mean that you're walking in the Spirit. Because Paul is telling Christians, hey, you're already living in the Spirit. You might as well walk in the Spirit. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 real quickly, if you would. You're there in Galatians, just one book over, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. So you say, well, what does it mean to live in the Spirit? What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Well, let me, let me, let me give you this, this verse to think about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That's the same idea reversed as if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Where Paul is saying, just because you live in your flesh does not mean that the life, the the battle that you're engaged in is a physical one. He says, for though we 
live in the flesh, although we walk in the flesh, he said we do not war after the flesh. And here he tells us, if you live in the Spirit, you're not necessarily walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Notice, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. See, when you got saved, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. Ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You know what that means? That you are living with the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul meant when he said, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So again, let me just make this clear. Because people will, will come, and even to our church, people have came to yours, and, 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 and good people, and, and I don't think they're, they're bad people, but they'll hear me preach and they'll say, well, I, I disagree with you on, you know, I think that everyone who's saved is going to be a disciple. I think everyone that's saved is going to, is going to, you know, have the fruit of the Spirit. I think everybody's saying, but wait a minute, well, then you're, you're disagreeing with Paul because Paul says simply because you live in the Spirit doesn't mean you walk in the Spirit. He says you are indwelled, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and you are living with the Spirit. And then he says if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So simply living in the Spirit or having the Spirit living in you does not mean you're walking in the Spirit. You say, well, well, I don't know what I think about that. Well, look at the verse again, Ephesians 4.30. If, if it's true, let me, let me say it this way. If it's true that every Christian, if you're saved and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to walk in the Spirit, you're going to blah, blah, blah. If that's true, then why does Paul say this in Ephesians 4.30? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You say, oh, he's talking to unsaved people. Hold on, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying there are some Christians who are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, who have the Holy Spirit living in them, and they are living in the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is grieved. You say, why is he grieved? Because, they're, because though he, they live in the Spirit, they walk in the flesh. Because he is indwelling them while they're living in the flesh and committing adultery and fornication and uncleanness, while being on drugs, while being a drunkard, while doing the things that do not honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question I have for the people who say, well, if you're saved, you're going to be a disciple. And if you're saved, there's going to be fruit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk in the Spirit. Then, then why would the Bible tell us to not grieve the Holy Spirit? That would make no, there's no point of Paul telling us that if every Christian is going to walk in the Spirit. You say, why does Paul say it? Because some Christians don't walk in the Spirit. In fact, some Christians grieve the Holy Spirit. And I shouldn't even have to explain this to you theologically, because just look around at the average Christian, and it's apparent that most Christians are worldly. I mean, just look at the average young person, Christian young person today, and you just look at them, and you're like, wow, you're worldly. Don't tell me you're walking in the Spirit. We can see where you're walking. You're walking in the flesh. So just because you're saved does not mean that you're walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is produced by a life that is controlled by the Spirit. It is not produced by a life that is simply indwelled by the Spirit. You say, why? Because some people hinder the Spirit. That's why Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. Every time you pick up a beer and drink it, while having the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Every time that you begin to say foul things and things that should not come out of your mouth while indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And consider the fact that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And when you sit down to watch something you shouldn't watch, to listen to something you shouldn't listen to, to engage in something you shouldn't be engaging, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So don't tell me every Christian walks in the Spirit. you got to pastor for about five minutes to figure out most Christians aren't walking in the Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Even worse than that, go to 1 Thessalonians 5. You're there in Ephesians to flip over Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. Not only can you grieve the Holy Spirit, but even worse than that, you can quench the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 19, quench not the Spirit. Remember, we were talking about it last week. 
The life that is led of the Spirit, the individual that is walking in the Spirit, has the Holy Spirit guiding them. How does the Holy Spirit guide you? He pricks you in your heart. The Holy Spirit wants to grab you by the hand and guide you through life. And as you are going through life, there should be situations where the Holy Spirit is telling you, no, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't make that phone call. Don't take that phone call. Don't go, don't go to that place. Don't go to that party. Don't drink that. Don't inject that. Don't look that way. The Holy Spirit of God is telling you and trying to guide you, trying to cause you to walk in a way that is, uh, that is the, the way that he wants you to walk. But you know, a Christian can, can feel that and ignore it. You say, what is that called? It's called quenching the Spirit. You quench the Spirit. You don't hear him. This is how Christians become insensitive. We talked about it last week. And again, I'm, I'm referencing last week's sermon because this is in context of that sermon. But this is how you get Christians who are just comfortable in worldliness. They're comfortable in just nudity. They're comfortable in worldliness. They're comfortable in just being around. Look, you shouldn't be comfortable being around a bunch of people drinking. It shouldn't become, you shouldn't be comfortable being around a bunch of people who are just cussing and cursing and talking about inappropriate things. That should, your Holy Spirit should be saying, hey, I don't like this. But yet so many Christians are callous today because you quench the Spirit, you quench the Spirit, you quench the Spirit. And look, your Holy Spirit is just depressed. He's grieved. He's discouraged. That he's being held hostage. He's saying, you know, even so, come Lord, you know, uh, just rapture me out of here. I'm being held hostage by this stinking worldly person. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I want the Holy Spirit to enjoy his time in my temple. And I would hope that you'd want the same. So we see that the production of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in a life controlled by the Spirit. It is not produced in a life that is simply indwelt by the Spirit. It is not produced in a life that hinders the work of the Spirit. So I'm trying to be very clear tonight. Go back to Galatians 5. And I want you to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you can use as a litmus test to say, well, if somebody's saved, they're going to have... No, no, no. Because somebody can be saved and not walk in the Spirit. Somebody can be saved and quench the Spirit. Somebody can be saved and grieve the Spirit. Somebody can be saved and walk in the flesh. So the fruit of the Spirit is not a litmus test for salvation. But it is a litmus test for this. For us to know. For you to know. Whether you're walking in the Spirit. See, well, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? If your life is characterized by these nine things, you're walking in the Spirit. If your life is not, then you're walking in the flesh. If your life is characterized by these nine things, then you are being led by the Holy Spirit. You are being guided by the Holy Spirit. You're not quenching the Holy Spirit. You're not grieving the Holy Spirit. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you through life. If these nine things. So look, these nine things don't tell us if you're saved. They do tell us if you're Spirit-filled. So let's look at them. I said, number one, we saw the producer of the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Christian. I said, number two, we saw the production of the Spirit. It is produced in a life controlled by the Spirit. It is not produced in a life simply indwelt by the Spirit. It is not produced in a life that hinders the work of the Spirit. Someone that's quenching or grieving the Spirit. So number three, and this is where we'll spend most of our time tonight, let's look at the product of the fruit of the Spirit. What does a life look like that is filled with the Spirit of God and walking with the Spirit of God? Well, notice the Holy Spirit will produce these things in your life. Number one, love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's look at these as quickly as we can. And I, you can preach a whole, I could preach a nine-week series out of this, and maybe one day I will. But tonight, as quickly as possible, let's just look at what these things, what, do, what does that mean, love? Ephesians 5, if you would. Ephesians 5, you're there in Galatians, just flip over to Ephesians 5. Let's run some verses and look at what these words mean. And you should identify this in your life. Now, in the Bible... The word love is always characterized by this word, sacrifice. Now, I'm going to give you one example of that, or a couple examples in this passage, but we could look at a lot of passages. This is a a passage that has to do with husbands and wives, but this is not the only example. This is just a good example. We're in Galatians, and it's easy to get to Ephesians. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, And here's how it's characterized, and gave himself for it. So notice that love 
Because, look, because I, you know, here's what most Christians want. They, 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 they want me to get up and preach, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, isn't this fun? The fruit of the Spirit, isn't this lovely? You write these verses on your wall and buy it at, you know, whatever, Hobby Lobby. And then, and then we say, and here's what the fruit of the Spirit, love. And everybody's like, oh, I love. Do you? Because the Bible doesn't only tell us to love, it tells us what love looks like. You say, what does love look like? Here's what it looks like. And gave himself for it. Love is always characterized by sacrifice. You ever heard this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is always characterized by sacrifice. Say, do I love my wife? Well, let me ask you, do you sacrifice for her? Is it always your way or the highway? Is it always, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to give it? Because love sacrifices. Love says, hey, you know, I'll lay down my life. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, just because we tend to be hard-headed, God gives us another example of what this looks like. Because, you know, especially here, we're talking to guys, and guys, they, 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 like, to, they like to not understand things. You ever talk to a guy? It's like talking to a brick wall sometimes. It's like, I can tell, like, ooh, no one's awake. I mean, the eyes are open, the lights are on, but the, 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 the hamster has fallen off the, the track there. I mean, it's not, not, nothing's, so God understands it. So he says, okay, you don't want to understand love? You don't want to understand sacrifice? Let me help you understand something you will understand. How about selfishness? Because here's what everybody understands, how to be selfish. You say, well, then what's love? Love is the opposite of selfish. It's selfless. Look at Ephesians 5.28. Just in case you don't get, gave himself for it, he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Here's what God's saying. You're good at loving yourself. No explanation needed. He says, you know how you love yourself? You ought to love your wife like you love yourself. You're loving yourself is selfish. You loving someone else in the same way you love yourself is selfless. It's sacrifice. Love is sacrificial. It is selfless. It is, it is putting others foot first. That's what love is. So when we ask the question, are you filled with the Spirit? What we really need to ask is, do you have love? For others, because being filled with the Spirit will cause the Holy Spirit to produce in you love. And then you would say, well, of course I love, but before you say that, let's answer it this way. Do you sacrifice for others? Are you selfless or are you selfish? Because the Holy Spirit produces selflessness. The Bible tells us that loving your brother is being willing to lay down your life. And if you're willing to lay down your life for someone, then you should be willing to live for that person as well. So we see the first characteristic or product of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the second is joy, love, joy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You're there in, in, in Ephesians. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look, we're, I'm get, we're t- you're taking a test. All right? Get out your number two pencil. Get out your, your lined paper. And, and we're taking a test. Question number one, do you have love? But before you answer that, answer it this way. Can you identify you ever sacrificing for anyone? You ever being selfless towards anyone? You ever esteeming others better than yourself? Because love looks like this. Love says, if I have to win, in, in order for me to win, you have to lose, and I will lose so you can win. That's what laying down your life for someone means. That's what loving someone as their own bodies mean. So, so test question number one, love. You got it? Are you selfless? Are you sacrificial? All right, put a star next to it if, if you got the right answer and put an X. This isn't every child left behind. We're, we're going to give you the test, the grade you deserve. Here's the second question, joy. Do you have joy in your life? Well, yeah, in Christmas. Okay, let's look at what joy what does joy mean? Colossians 1.24. Who now rejoice? Now, just the word rejoice is used synonymously with the word joy. You should be able to look at it and tell that it's pretty much the same word. Joy, rejoice. Who now rejoice when I got a raise. Is that what it says? Who now rejoice 
when everything is going great. Is that what it says? Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Go to Philippians chapter 4. If you're there in Colossians, just flip back to Philippians chapter 4. I want to remind you that Philippians, the book of Philippians, was written while the Apostle Paul was sitting in prison. He's sitting in prison, writing Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And while sitting in prison, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The question I would ask you is, what would you be saying if you were in prison? For the cause of Christ, not for being an idiot. He says, rejoice. You say, joy. What, what is joy? And look, this is the test. Are you filled with the Spirit? We can, answer the, we, can answer, we, can, we can get the results of the test. You are filled with the Spirit if you have joy. But hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's not just say, well, of course I have joy. No, here's what the Bible defines as joy. Joy is happiness that is not connected to your circumstances. Because everyone's happy when they're at an amusement park. Everyone's happy when they are on vacation. Everyone's happy when things are going well. But the fruit of the Spirit is someone who can have joy while in prison, while suffering, who now rejoice in my suffering for you. So let me ask you this. If you can suffer and still have the joy of the Lord, it's not because you're great. It's because you're walking in the Spirit. And if you cannot have joy even through your suffering, then you're probably not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. And please understand this. You know, the Bible says, you know, that we should be thankful in all things. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And the Bible says that we should give thanks in everything. And, and I often tell people, it does not say to give thanks for everything. Some things we're not thankful for. But it does say that I can be thankful in everything. And I can be thankful through everything. And I can have joy. I can have a happiness that is not connected to my circumstances. Because look, when God is the source of my joy, then it doesn't matter what happens with my job. It doesn't matter what happens with the economy. It doesn't matter what state I live in. It doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. If God is the source of my joy, all these things can change. And I'm still happy. But if the stock market is the source of your joy, well, then that's going to go up and down. Do you understand that? If, if someone else or something else is the source of your joy, but when the Holy Spirit is the source of your joy, then we can now rejoice in my suffering. We can rejoice in the Lord always. Let's look at the third. So that's question number two. You got it? Here's question number three. We're answering the question, are you filled with the Spirit? Here's question number three, peace. Peace. You're there in Philippians 4, look at verse 5. Let your moderation, the word moderation means an avoidance of excess or extremes. The Christian life is a balanced life. It is not a life of extremes. You're never right with God when you're living on an extreme. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. The word careful, if you notice the word care in the word careful, it means full of care. It means full of worry, anxious, worried, concerned. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds Through Christ Jesus. The word peace is defined as freedom from disturbance, as a mental calm. And see, biblical peace is a calm that is connected not to the circumstances, but through God. Same as rejoicing. So you you can ask yourself, am I calm? And and if if you're calm or not calm, based off the circumstances, you're not walking in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, God is the source of your joy, and God is the source of your peace. And no matter what's happening out there, we can say, everything's all right in my Father's house. 
we can say God is still on his throne. So peace is a calm that is not connected to circumstances. And by the way, let me say this. A Christian could be walking in the Spirit one day and not walking in the Spirit another day. So this is not like, well, once you're walking in the Spirit, you're always walking in the Spirit. You've got to maintain that thing. So there could be times in the Christian life where you're faced with difficulties and you had that peace that passes no one, uh, all understanding. And people are asking you, how can you be dealing with it? How are you not uh, 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 just breaking down? And it's like, I don't know. It's the Holy Ghost that's sustaining me. And then there'll be other times when you're in the flesh. So we just have to realize that walking in the Spirit is a choice we must make every day. Every day we must choose to walk in the Spirit. Here's question number four, long-suffering. Are you? You're there in Philippians, go to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Long-suffering is the same as patience, but it has a different emphasis. And the emphasis is in the word. It's suffering long. Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all blessings, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, notice these words, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. See, these words are being mixed together. Long-suffering, having or showing patience in spite of trouble, especially those caused by other people. Long-suffering is this idea that you are suffering at the hands of someone else. That because of somebody else's choices, you are now paying the consequences. Someone else decided to, and now you're suffering. But a Christian that is walking in the Spirit can be long-suffering. They can be patient. say, how can that be? Well, these are all connected to each other. Because if you can have joy that is connected to God, and you can have peace that is coming from God, then you can suffer long in your circumstances. Because the suffering doesn't come from God. It is the circumstances that we are experiencing on this earth. So a Christian whose joy is connected to God, whose peace is connected to God, who's loving others, being selfless and sacrificing, he can also suffer long. She can also suffer long. Long suffering. Here's the fifth word. Gentleness. Gentleness. Does this characterize your life? Look, we're just taking a test. Are you walking in the Spirit or not? Can your life be characterized by the word gentleness? You're there in Colossians. Go, go, go back. Go, go to Ephesians. Colossians. If you go backwards, you have Philippians and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. You say, what does it mean to be gentle? Well, here's another, here's, here's another word that's used synonymously in, in the Bible. Ephesians 4.32, be kind. That's not the word, but that's a good word. Be kind. Are you kind? You'd be surprised how many Christians are not kind. You'd be surprised how many people are not kind. We have to go to the DMV today, and you'd be surprised how many DMV workers are not kind. I can tell those people are not walking in the spirit. You know, I think to myself, this is what happens when you don't have any competition. You know what I mean? And there's no capitalism here, and there's no other DMV I can go to. I have to go to this one, so these people are all walking in the flesh. And be kind one to another. Here's the word I wanted you to see. Tender-hearted. That's what it means to be gentle. So many people, their heart is, their heart is hard. Their heart is hard towards their spouse. Their heart is hard towards their church family, their, their hearts hard towards the things of God, their hearts hard towards the unsaved. That's not walking in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, you will experience a tenderness in your heart, a gentleness. You will begin to be kind. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is kind. And look, today we live in a society where people promote rudeness. And people think that being rude and being a jerk is a virtue. And they, they pride themselves. Well, I just tell them how it is. Well, maybe you should stop that. Because the Bible says to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The Bible says that we should edify people and love people. So we see gentleness, to be kind. Then we see the next word is goodness. Goodness. Go to Matthew chapter 5. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 5. Goodness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. You say, what does that mean? Well, you know, it's funny because Pastor Anderson just preached about it at the Red Hot Preaching Conference 
on Sunday morning about good and being good. So I won't spend a lot of time on it, but here's one great verse on it, Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The word goodness and good is connected to the word godly or God because of the fact that God is the only one that is good. And, and when we are good, we are being godly. So if you want to ask yourself, am I good? Ask yourself this, am I being like God? When you look in the mirror, when you look at your clothes, hey, young people, when you look at your clothes, ask yourself, am I looking, is this what God, is this how Jesus would have dressed? When you're listening to the radio, is this what Jesus would have listened to? When you're talking with your friends, is this what Jesus would have talked about when he was 12 and 13 and 14? Because goodness and being good has to do with being godly or being like God. Obviously, we're not going to be sinless like God, but you should have a life. Look, people should be able to look at you and say, there's a godly person. There's someone that walks with God. That there's something... Look, you should not look like everyone else. You should not look like everyone else. You should not talk like everyone else. You should not uh, 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 have a lifestyle like everyone else. Because if you look like everyone, talk like everyone, act like everyone else, let me tell you something. You're not being godly. You're not being good. You're being worldly. If you look like the world, you're being worldly. If you act like the world, you're being worldly. If you, if you listen to the same things the world listens to, watches the same things the world watches, uh, uh, and talk about the same thing, then you're not being godly and good. You're being worldly and bad. So we can tell by whether you're walking in the Spirit by just looking at you, by just identifying your lifestyle. Because the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So when people see you, what do they see? Do they see godly and good or do they see worldly and bad? Number seven. I mean, great. you're going to grade your own test. You're not going to have to turn this one in. Okay, self-graded. But put a star or an X. Be honest. Number seven, faith. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. We don't spend a lot of time on this, but faith means to trust or to have confidence. The Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is having your trust and confidence in God. Fear is having your faith in the world or the devil. Fear is not trusting God. So when you're afraid, you're not full of faith, you're full of fear. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you have faith, great faith. Confidence. Obviously, you need faith for salvation. But the Bible says we walk by faith, and we need more faith. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will experience this trust and this confidence that says, my hope is in God. Number eight, meekness. Meekness. Go back to Ephesians if you would. Meekness is identified as this humility that puts others first. Notice how these are all connected. Meekness is putting others first. Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein, uh, wherewith ye are called. Look verse 2. With all lowliness, that's humility, and meekness, notice, with long-suffering, notice these words are coming up, and forbearing one another in, don't miss the word, love, sacrifice, selflessness. What is meekness? Meekness is humility. Meekness is not putting yourself above where you should. Meekness is having the right context of yourself, realizing who you are and who you are in Christ. It doesn't mean you look down on yourself. It doesn't mean you look up, uh, 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 up on yourself. It just means that you understand who you are, and in that humility, you esteem others better than yourself. You have long-suffering, forbearing. And then the last word, number nine, temperance. Temperance. That's an older word that simply means self-control. 1 Corinthians 9.27. If you go backwards, you have Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I keep under my body, here's the phrase, and bring it into subjection. 
lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. It is the same idea of like an athlete who is temperate. They are self-controlled. They, they, they are disciplined with what they eat, with how they exercise, the things they do, because they, have to, they want to win the prize. They want to win the gold. And the Bible says that when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to have a life of temperance. Because remember, if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's temperance. That is controlling uh, yourself and having a life of self-control. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be done here in two minutes. Galatians chapter 5. We talked about the producer of the fruit of the Spirit. Who produces the fruit of the Spirit? The Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Christian. It is the fruit of the Christian that is walking in the Spirit. But the Christian that is grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, and walking in the flesh is going to have different fruit. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, those things are going to characterize your life if you walk in the flesh. Then we saw the production of the fruit of the Spirit. It is produced by a life that is controlled by the Spirit. It is not produced by a life that is simply indwelled by the Spirit. It is not produced in a life that hinders the work of the Spirit. And then we saw the product of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I don't know about you, but this guy sounds awesome. I mean, this is the guy I want to marry my daughters. I want the guy who has sacrificial, selfless love. This is the guy that I want to marry my sons, right? Someone who has joy that is not connected to their circumstances, but is sourced from God. Someone who has peace and a calm that others would say passes all understanding. And people can't even understand. How can you be so calm? And this is because my calm, my, my peace comes from God. Someone who's long-suffering, someone who's gentle, someone who's good, someone who's faithful, someone who has meekness, someone who has temperance. This individual sounds like an amazing individual. And it could be you. And it could be me if we walk in the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. See, this guy doesn't need to be told because against such there is no law. So can you identify yourself in this? How do you do on your test? Everybody, turn your pages over. Okay, time's up. How do you do? Can you identify the fruit of the Spirit in your life? And if not, you should ask the question, why not? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I realize that no one here, nobody, is going to get an A on all nine of those. We are a work in progress, but I pray you'd help us to do better today than we did yesterday. Help us to choose today to walk in the Spirit. Lord, help us to deny the flesh, to not walk in the flesh, to walk in the Spirit and that this might characterize our lives, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This might be the life that is characterized, that is seen in us. Lord, help us to deny the flesh, walk in the Spirit, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just